So Mazaran, now we we're talking about three things. Eh? So I'm going to try again and just put them together. The reason I want us to talk about um, these following topics is because spirituality oftentimes is made to be a a surreal, like a far thing. When you are a spiritual person, you are a prayer warrior. You are this person who goes around, you make noise when you pray. But that's what we think spirituality is. Sometimes we think even preaching must be loud, you know. But on the other hand, there's a reality that there are things that we believe shouldn't happen to children of God. And when they happen, people, because they were taught to believe that those things then don't happen to children of God, they think there's something wrong with them when stuff like that. So I want to firstly talk about, I will summarize what uh, is called the dark night of the soul. And then we'll talk about um, practice of the presence of God. And you must understand all of these things I'm going to summarize, but at least you will have a view. We can send you stuff to read on those things. Then I will also talk about simple prayer. That simple prayer is an everyday, every moment prayer. You know when Jesus says, pray without ceasing? So people have this idea that if I'm going to pray without ceasing, it means I will be locking myself you know, there's time for that, but pray without season does not necessarily mean the length of prayer. Amen. So I want us to start with the dark night of the soul. So let us read in the book of um, Psalm 42. We're going to read 42 and 43. So, the part that is usually understood and celebrated is verse 1 of uh, verse 40 of chapter 42. It says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, you must already understand before. when, when the, the, this psalm is written by the sons of Korah, agree, you know, not all psalms are written by David. Others are written by the sons of Korah, others are written by Moses and so on and so forth. So the sons of Korah, if you, 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 you go to the original uh, temple, the sons of Korah were the music Levites. They were the people that David ordained to do the music at church at the temple right now one of them right he says as the deer pants for the water brooks my soul thirst now when he speaks about my thought my soul thirst is is combining the inner man and the the soul area the thinking the mind now what does david say about the soul about the shepherd he says the lord is my shepherd what does the lord do to my soul he restores my, my soul, right? So this guy, when you read this thing, it almost sounds like 
he's in a happy space. You know, now when we sing it as a worship song, we sing it as a happy space of, I want to worship God. But what this guy is saying, when you follow very well, firstly, he tells you the state of where he is. He says, my soul is dry. He's thirsty. And then he tells you, you'll hear. He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Then he he takes us to the, the, the further depths of his state. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day, where is your God? So if people say, where is your God? There must be a situation around my life that seemingly uh, project a picture that God has forsaken him. That is why even when Jesus, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting the psalmist who says, what my God. So he says, people are asking me, where is my God? So let's just pause there for a moment and ask ourselves. If we're not as a modern Christian, if God is with you, what are the things that you would expect to happen? So in most cases, we are expecting victory, easy flow, breakthrough, the things that we pray for, the things that are actually in the promises of God. We are expecting that the promises are yes and amen and everything is fine and therefore God is with me. But now, he says, my state is such that my detractors, the people around me look at me and say, hey man, things are like this. Where is your, your God? He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. Now, he's telling you what it used to be like. What every one of us know it should be this way, we are right that it should be that way, right? And so at times we go, we live in the reality of how it should be. Where you like, yo, I'm so blessed. I'm, like you see how we are all feeling right now. You feel like, if I die now, that's it. I'm still happy. You understand what happens? So in a state of how every other thing should be, then you can say, God is with me. I'm, I'm okay. So he says, then now I look back at when things were okay. So he says, how were the things? He says, I used to go to house, the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Then he gets to a place where he is emotionally now. He says, but why my soul are you downcast within me? Why are you so disturbed? Are you hearing what he said? He's basically saying, I don't feel like my soul is restored. I don't have the joy that I had. He says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the, the heights of the Hermon from Mount Zed. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. 
All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By the day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, my rock, why have you, what? Why have you forgotten? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes, my enemies, taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Chapter 43, this one we'll just read to verse 5 where it ends. Vindicate me, my God, vindicate me. In other words, prove me right. Because sometimes people have done me wrong. Remember where we're talking about people have hurt you and you want them to, to ask forgiveness and they are not going to. So he says, vindicate me, prove me right and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are my God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dare. Then I will go to the altar of God to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lair. Oh God, my God, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed with me, within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So there are realities that we need to look at. The psalmist says to us, even though there were good times in my life, even though I saw God, even though I was at a high a elevated place of spiritual bliss. There came a point where I felt almost depressed. My soul was downcast. I felt dry. But I kept the hope. In that situation, I still said to my soul, we're going to praise God despite. God is going to restore. Are you following? God will turn our mourning into dancing later. So this is the guy who's depressed. But now he's a child of God, in a sense. He's a person who knows the presence of God. He lived. Right? So you can be depressed despite your faithfulness. Why? Because he says, my foes, my enemies that surround me. So situations have worked against me such that those who want to see my fall look at me and they are happy. And then we go back to what uh, we were talking about the other day. You start fretting. You look at sinners and you think, how can I be the way I feel, right? Now, let's look at to what extent has this journey of the dark of darkness of the soul been for others. Let's go to, where should we start? Let's, okay, let's go to verse 6. 
Okay, let's start in First Kings 19. In First Kings 19, we see the story of Elijah the prophet, right? I'm reading from verse 1. First Kings chapter 19. Are you there? Yes. So, in First Kings chapter 19, I'm, I'm reading from verse 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. What did um, Elijah say when he came to the prophets of Baal? He says, today we are, you remember the contest. He says, um, you people call your, your God, I get I will call my God as well. Now I want you to hear the confidence of this guy. When he comes, let's read chapter 18, verse 36. It says, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. You must listen to his prayer. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. So here's a guy who operates at a very high level of spiritual anointing. In that anointing, he does what has not been done before. After he defeats them, he kills all of them. So when you are a child of God, what, is, what that kind of um, victory, it's something that to you defines a victorious child of God. Like this guy is a, I don't know, he's is the be it all of it all. He's Elijah. The Bible says Elijah was a man like us. But he prayed. So when I think of Elijah, I think of this guy who, yo, when he comes, he tells people that today, and for your information, I'm his servant. Are you there? Fast forward. It is said that now Ahab tells Jezebel, or hey, uh, this guy has killed the prophet. And Jezebel says, by today, like you killed the prophets, I'm going to kill you today. Right? No problem. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. 
Isn't this a bit weird? It's like, okay, why don't you call the same fire on Jezebel and all these other guys? I, 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 I hear it. The Bible says his soul area was disturbed. He was firstly afraid. What happens next? He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he, while he himself went a day's further into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I mean, think about it. This guy has just had a mighty victory. Right? He is threatened with what? Death. But it's strange. Why, if he wants to die, why doesn't he just let... You have two options. Either kill them, call fire on them, or if the really wanting to die is what you want, then let them kill you. But Elijah does not really want to die. He's despondent. You will hear when he speaks to God. He says, let me rather die. And he says, I have had enough, Lord. You understand how painful that is? I have heard what? Enough. Doesn't sound like a confession of a person who walks that close with God. Says, I've heard enough, not only that. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. Have the ancestors done what he has done before? No. But. In the dark night of the soul, you get a point where even what you have accomplished for God seems like nothing. The victories, you've done ministry, and then one day, you kind of have a spiritual life, a spiritual mid-life crisis, mid-life crisis, where you're like, I don't see the point. See, you and I, if we're him, we think he should be celebrating. But this man, on the other hand, he sounds like he's depressed. He says, then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. He's exhausted. And at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water he ate and drank and then lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate, drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenants, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. Sometimes in your marriage, in your family, at work, there's that state where you feel like I'm the only one pulling now. So, so this man is... is is giving us a, an insight into his inner world, his life. When he was there performing 
preaching, healing the sick, doing these things. Everybody looked at him like, wow, he's powerful. But firstly, they don't know that he has insecurities. They don't know that this man has a low self-esteem. He thinks he's even worse than people who are useless in the kingdom. He's de- he feels dejected. He doesn't see fruit in what he does. He says, anyway, the prophets who do, the people who do what I do, we strive to do right, but we don't seem to be succeeding. Now I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and a powerful wind tore the mountains apart. You remember this scene with Moses? You remember this story with Moses? The rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's a repetition. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. I love that. Go back what? Why? And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. Listen to this part. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel to succeed you as their prophet. Are you hearing what God is saying? In essence, God says, okay, are you, are you giving up? Okay, no problem. Go and find your substitute. You want me to take you? No problem. I'll take you. But why does he want to be taken out? He says he's had... He has carried the burden of the fear and the threats on his life. The rejection from the people, the opposition, being hated for things he doesn't even know why. You know when people fight with their friends in the church and then they blame you as a pastor? Because we carry stuff like that. Luana, you will carry stuff like that in your own family, at work. People will blame you for things that is that has nothing to do with me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So this guy, in as much as you and I, we are like, hey, Elia. Do you, do you understand why Koleya Elia finally came? It came because the man could not take it anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know, just like that Koleya Elia You don't understand, though. Maybe God was saying to him, you are going through the dark night of the soul, but I'm going to preserve you by not letting you die. Are you dead? That's another story. But leave, let's leave that, that story. Let's just listen to what it says. It says, And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as a prophet. 
Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha, Elisha is who? Is a substitute for him. Listen to what he says. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Basically, what you feel unable to undertake, Elisha will do it. It was within your reach to kill your enemies if you wanted to. But you are now depleted. You are depleted, Elijah. You want to get out of the picture. Are you there? So let's, I want us to read, let's read Jonah. Uh, and then we'll read uh, about Paul. Let's start with Jonah in chapter uh, 4. Né? So Jonah goes to Nineveh. But firstly, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He goes to Tashish. Right? You know the story. Finally goes, he preaches to Nineveh. The Ninevites were the enemies of Israel. They had oppressed Israel. Let's go back to that thorny issue that all of us were talking about the other day. Where you wish God can deal with your enemies. You can just slay them. Are you there? We are in Jonah chapter 4. So, in chapter 3, the whole city repents, even the king, animals repent, everyone. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. What did Elijah feel? Fear. He became what? Afraid. Right? What is Jonah feeling? Angry. So he prayed to the Lord. You see the similarities? The other one was afraid. He, what did he do? He prayed. But he was depleted. The, uh, this one is also angry. What does he do? He prayed to the Lord. He said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tashish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, oh Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he says, I... I might see what would become of that city. What is he hoping for? The Lord will hopefully destroy the, the enemies. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to lead, deliver him from his misery. The man is what? Miserable. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. 
And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He lost his strength. Then he wished death on himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to John, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Listen, this is my favorite Jonah's answer. And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 people who cannot descend between their right and their left and much livestock? The Bible does not tell us how Jonah responds to that. But what we see is that he became so angry that he was practically distressed. What does this tell you about the night, the dark night of the soul? It tells you that sometimes when you look at other people that you think good should not happen to, your fretting will take you through a very dark night. The only reason Jonah felt the way he felt is because he wanted Nineveh destroyed. Sometimes we want justice. God, why did my father die? Why did this? Why that? That, that whole process of trying to figure out the severity of God, it will take you through a dark night. Are you there? So let's go to another one. This one, maybe we will try and summarize the dark night on Second Corinthians. Let me just touch on Jesus. Jesus went to Gethsemane, right? Mm -hmm. He went through the same. Mm -hmm. When you have to go through what you would rather not go through, the Bible says, he, he, he prayed and he says, if it were possible, let this cup. Because it's a dark night. The Bible says, as he prayed, he was in agony. You remember what he said? He says, my soul is overwhelmed even to the point of death. Isn't this the same Jesus? Who he, that's why people, his enemies, when he's on the cross, they repeat what the psalmist say. They say he was able to save others. Why can't he save him? Self. Now, on that cross, what is Jesus feeling? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if it is something you and I were to understand, as a son of God, he has never been away from the Father. And for the first time when he was made sin, so that we can be made the righteousness of God, the Father, then, the dark night of the soul. Am I still a son of God? Yes. But I'm feeling so dejected. I'm feeling so despondent. You understand that type of thing? Mm -hmm. But here's what I wanted to hear. Let's 
In Second Corinthians chapter one. Second Corinthians chapter one. You can read from verse three. I'm going to read from verse eight myself. Paul writes to the Corinthians. The Corinthian church. If you read the first letter of Corinthians, Paul says to this church, "You guys." You don't lack any spiritual gift. He says you are exceedingly blessed in the gift of the Spirit. That is why the gifts of the Spirit are in this book, this in the Corinthian church. He says the way you are so blessed, you are chaotic. That was a very chaotic church anyway. They were very carnal and very spiritual. They used to come and get drunk at church. You remember? During Holy Communion. Remember Holy Communion the way we do it. It's not the way it was done in the Bible. In the Bible it was a feast. You see? Remember it says they were sitting. It's called the Last Supper. Have you seen a supper of those round things that we eat at church? With these small things? No. Right now we have just, we are improvising. But if we were to do it right, we have to have unleavened it's not called unleavened wafer. It's called unleavened bread. I've never seen the bread inside. <laughs> that is why he broke it and said, this is my body because it was a meal. Are you following? Anyway, let's leave that part. One day we will do it right. And he took the cup. You understand if he took the cup and said, drink all of you. Yeah. <laughs> the ones that we use at church, that verse you can apply here, drink all of you. But we're not there. <laughs> My point is this, is that in the context of what now we read, ne? so we read about the, the last supper, we read about all these things. It is very easy to see your application as scripture. Until you go to scripture and realize that not really. Yeah. So when we read here, it says verse 8 of 2 Corinthians. This is Paul talking again. He's, go, he's going to preach. This church here according it had all kinds of problems. They would drink and get drunk. He asked them, Don't you have homes where you can drink? Yeah? While you go normal before other people share. You go and read First Corinthians, you just hear the, the problems. But that church, that's very same problematic church, is the church where it is said you have all the gifts. Character, gift, gift, fruit. Are you there? Anyway, so Paul tells them, he says. We do not want you, you see where I'm reading verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed. Another version says, we do not want you to be ignorant of the things we suffered. It says, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. 
But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves. That's the first thing. You have to learn. He says, we went through a dark night of death. So we were so, we were opposed. We could not endure. Right? Isn't Paul a powerful man of God? When you and I talk about Paul, we talk about this super apostle who wrote tithes of the Bible, of the New Testament. What a wonder, wonder. If I was Paul, no, if you were Paul, you would still feel the same way you felt. Except that you would do a lot of stuff that is supernatural. But Paul also felt, in a sense, depressed. Like, we're not getting out of this situation. He says, we could not endure. We felt that we were given a sentence of death. Are you hearing that death is a, is a common theme? in the minds of all these people. For many other reasons, all of them felt like, I wish I could die. So first he says, in the dark night of the soul, we had to learn not to depend on our selves, right? but rely on him who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly parent and he will deliver us again on whom we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Listen to the next thing. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor God granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So, as a church, we generally don't understand the dark night of the soul. I have not taken you through the aspects of it. I'm just, remember I said I'm summarizing the thing. The reason you have to learn this is that at one point or the other, either by your own sinfulness or things beyond your ability, you're going to find yourself in a place where you can't even pray. What is that point? That night of the soul. You will feel, why are you downcast within me, my soul? And if it gets worse, because it sometimes gets worse, you will be where you think ah, it is better to, to die. It's that thing that Q was talking about, that sometimes you, you think, I've had those thoughts where I think, I'm on a high rise and I look down. This would be, I won't feel any pain. You understand? You, you, you have this thought. Why? Because as you observe these people, they were not necessarily people who don't have faith. Elijah was a man of faith. But sometimes his soul, the fiery dart hit his soul until he fell. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's what you were saying yesterday. You try to fix this. This gets, You try to fix this. You try to fix this. Sometimes it's failure. You try to do this business, this business. You try this. You try that. When everything you try to do, like he was talking about, this is not working. Sometimes it's the extra year of life. Sometimes it's husband, it's wife, it's children, it's work, it's... Until you feel like, if I'm a child of God, 
Why are these things happening to me? And because you don't understand the dark night of the soul, you think maybe God has forsaken me, maybe I've sinned too much, maybe the devil is defeating me. Look at the guy who just defeated the devil. He just defeated the devil, but he sees there is like, I want to die. Sometimes when we come from missions, you come back like Jonah. And you get home, they hit you something. And you think, I thought I made five steps forward, but now I feel like I'm... That's like a testimony right there. That's zero thing. It's not just an addition. That is just a confession out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Are you following? And are you thinking, but I served God. No, you're missing the point. Did did all these people I'm reading about not serve God? Did they do not powerful, miraculous, anointed things? Uh-huh. But you see, they went through that thing. And all of them came to a point of, I am overwhelmed, even to a point of death. So the dark night of the soul needs you firstly, okay, let's just, um, what is that? Lamentation strength. Okay. Okay, all right. And somebody's asking, he's saying, I don't know what you what you are looking for. Let's go to lamentations. Lamentations. What does lamentation mean? You know when people read that chapter, they don't understand that that book was written out of a place of depression out of a place of so somberness, out of sorrow. That's why to lament. You know when they say you lament something? You cry over something. Are you still there, Brother Ram? And so come to the marking Jeremy again. So let's read because of the law, that Jeremy. I am not going to read much, but I'm also going to read as much as it is necessary. Are you there? Yeah. So let's just read chapter three. You can read all these other ones. It says, "I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light." Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. But we know his bones were not. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who long dead. There comes the theme again. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. 
He drew his bow and made me the target of his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with the bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone. And all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the God. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Are you saying the same thing? Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, and for his compassion never fail. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. So now when we sing the song, we are worshipping, it's like, hey, we are dancing. But when the person wrote, you see the things he's saying, he says exactly what everybody other side says, my soul is downcast. I'm like those who are already dead. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to those who seek him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke whilst he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. So here's the point. The point is other things the Lord will allow to happen to you. Like Job. I don't want to read Job. Job's story, you know, again. Other things, and those things will bring you to a place of despondency and anxiety and grief. And But what do we know? Cast it, count it all joy, brethren. When you go through various trials and tribulations for the testing of your faith, you are meant to come out strong and better and trusting God because He will restore. Everybody tells you He will restore. But when you don't take the word of God all the time, when you go through the dark night of the soul, you, you, you don't have the rhema weight. The Rema word says, I bring this to remembrance that the Lord will restore. Therefore, I have hope. But those who grieve without hope, now we sound insensitive towards you. Because now, your parents have died. And some of us will come to you and say, it will be fine. And he's thinking, I don't understand, 
It will be fine when Emuna will be dead. The Bible says, though he slays me, Job says that, yet I will trust him. For he shall restore. He doesn't breathe grief endlessly. Job said it before. He says, though he slays me, yet I will trust him. And he says, me, one thing I know of all these things, my Redeemer lives and I will see him with my own eyes. Did God restore him? Yes. Double what he had. Now imagine if it is you and Eronomia like, no, to me, to me, to me, to me. This, this, because sometimes I get rewarded the nuggets, Bazalwan. We don't speak with the weight. We just speak getting nuggets. This too shall pass. And when you are thinking, you are talking like this because you are not the ones going through it. No, everybody goes through the dark night of death. So, so when somebody says, yo, I feel suicidal, all of you call it. Like, like, you see uh, what uh, Mrs. Masangwe said. When Q said that, I felt like friendly. And I mean, I'm sitting there and she's like, yeah, I'll be okay. Yeah, I, you see the difference? Because for me, I know I've been there. It's called the dark night of the soul, where people, and sometimes it's what I was telling you yesterday, that at times you're going to have to come to where Job came. Job, when he dealt with the sovereignty of God, go and read it. He says, I have issues with you. The only problem is that no one can mediate between you and me. As a matter of fact, I can't take you to court. If I could, I would take you to court so that the, the judge can judge between me and you. Why are you doing this to me? He says, on the ground and my teeth, even Jeremiah says the same thing. He says, my teeth is just... Hey, on the gravel. Are you there? Now, how does that happen? Sometimes is the very thing. Who was I talking to? You or this? That, I can't remember who was. We started that topic that you have to get to a place, or oh, even Tatenda was in, where the sovereignty of God is like, ah, no, no, no. You can be. What have I done to deserve all this? And then, you are not the first person. If you want to know how to go through it, go and check how others went through it. Others felt to God was unfair. When God came to say, you say, Job, I'm unfair. Okay, no problem. Get your loins. I'll ask you questions now. You've read that part. Well, God says, okay, you say I'm unfair. Where were you when I laid the foundation? So, Almost like, are you saying I'm stupid? Okay, just give me some wisdom here. Yeah. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. So in the dark night of the soul, we have to keep hope alive because God restores. Amen. Does that make sense? Amen. Then we must seek others to pray. Have you realized how many times Paul says to the church, pray for me, pray for me. Ephesians, pray for me as well that I may preach the, the word boldly. Here he says, we escaped because of your prayers. Now, pastors, leaders, people die because they don't have those who pray for them. 
When we were young in the Lord, we were taught to have prayer partners. You understand? These days, the pastor prays for everyone, and nobody prays for him. And then when he has fallen, we are all like, yo, such a powerful man. Ah, he's not even half what Elijah was. <laughs> You're talking about that guy. That guy was not even a god yeah. of Paul. But these guys, not only did they feel downcast with their soul, within their souls, they asked for prayers. You shut up with the night, with the dark night, yeah. and try to move to other things quickly. Statement to um, just the um, yeah, I just want for maybe even if you don't explain it now, maybe later. Yes, which one? Because if we go to um, the first key, 19, mm. uh, I'm, I'm just in my mind, but you don't have to answer it. If you look at, at, at how it ends in 18, because I'm looking at for it. Elijah is saying, could it be the source here is discouragement? Because he says in his prayer, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. On verse 14, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. He says, but now on 18, after God talked, I will find the replacement. Mm. On 18, he says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. And he says, All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, mm. and whose mouths have, have not kissed him. So, so in my mind, looks like to say that it, it, does it mean Elijah was mistaken? He said, I'm the only one. Elijah was mistaken. But it looks like God said, No, there are thousands. They've never. It's the same thing as you thinking what you are going through. But the Bible says the trials you are going through, just know that your brothers all over the world are going through the same. Another portion Paul tells us that no temptation, no trial has seized you except what is common to Man, and with it, the Lord will provide a way out. But if you don't see the way out, Elijah thought it was just him. But God said, no, 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 no. I still have. But you see, the, the point of this whole reality is that Elijah feels, I've done what was necessary, but I don't see the fruit. In fact, when I was reading, thank you for asking that question because you took me to what I forgot to mention. When we read um, Jeremiah in the morning, when you and I read, because we read chapter one again, we are very encouraged by before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. I ordained you a prophet. Okay, fast forward. The Lord has grieved me. He has done this. God did say to him, I'm sending you to a stiff-necked people. He has said, so look at what ministry has done to Elijah, to, to Jeremiah. 
Did God call Jeremiah? Yes. Jeremiah, at least we know, even before he was formed. But Jeremiah is, they call him the wailing prophet. He's crying his heart out. Because if you read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was hated by kings such that even when Babylon took over uh, Jerusalem, they had put him in a dungeon. The king said, he prophesied against me that I won't return. And Jeremiah says, yes, the Lord says, when Jehoiakim, you won't even return. They, they are going to kill you there. And the king said, okay, put him in a dungeon until I come back. But can you imagine, from my mother's womb, I was thinking when I, I come to serve God, I'm going to do amazing things that have no sorrows. These dungeons and dens of lions and fire finances, I didn't sign up for those things. I mean, I signed up for the anointing of the, 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 shade, the shadow healing. And the, you understand that? That's why Jesus says, you will have those things with persecution. Happiness. From the same scripture, is it possible to let myself go into the darkness of the soul to the point of God to bury me? It is. Remember? Yeah, he says, okay, it's fine, feel the way you go, and I know it's the next, the next person. God does not need any of us. We are all dispensable to, to God. He appointed Saul. He says, ah, Saul, I've rejected him now. Samuel is crying, says, ah, Samuel, why are you wasting your tears? Why are you still crying? Is Saul dead? No. David was anointed king while Saul was alive. Are you following? So the point of it is what Paul says to the Philippian church, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't assume, like I was saying to you, don't assume that just because God is your father and your friend, he ceases to be God. No, no. You are dispensable. Every one of us. Think about Judas. Did Judas cast out demons? Yes. Did Judas partake in all of what these other guys partook in? Yes. But in the end, he was replaced. So, this is the point where I'm saying, sometimes when we speak to you, you think we are sensitive. When we say, stop having a pity party. Stop drinking champagne with the devil. And I'm not talking about sinning. I'm talking about you sitting there feeling sorry for yourself. I've rat in that church. Ah, my friend, the Lord will tell you, go back the way you. <laughs> the very road you used to come here. Go back. Your, your job is not. Can you imagine? I'm seeing thinking, ah, Elijah, what a waste of mileage. I guess you lost some weight, but <laughs> for all intended purposes, you should have stayed where you were supposed to stay and get on with the, the work. You understand? 
But now imagine when you are depressed and now come and tell you, hey, Sister Jack, stop this whining. Get on with the job, put on the full arm. It is not because if you read that chapter where I said you, you must read from three, it says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all comfort, the God of mercy, who has what? Comforted us in our troubles so that with the comfort we have received from Him, we may comfort others. So there is a place of comforting, right? But hold the thought. Ah, you see, now you people are directly me. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, listen, I'm reading from verse 1 again. It says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Are you there? But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Listen to verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Right? Now, a person is going to start having these pity parties and blaming us for not carrying their burden. Okay. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry what? His own Are those contradictions? No, they are not necessarily contradictions. They are compliments. Everyone should carry their own burden. How? Didn't you just say we must carry each other? No, no, no. Those two things apply. There will be time when you have to carry your burden. Yeah, but now you want us to carry it. But that one is your own man. We can't go with you to that cross. You have to go alone. And some people can't descend. There are things that we can't help you if you're going through it. I can't carry the loss of your loved one for you. Okay. And now I know you're like, yeah, you are leaving me. No, I'm leaving you. Because I can't carry it. I can only help you with those burdens that I can also. So which means my way of helping you in this case is that I can only pray for you. So that in when you are hard-pressed, you know you are not going to be crushed. You are not going to be in despair. Can I take the pain from you? No. Can I grieve for you? No. You must carry that one. I'll help you carry the other. The challenge is that when I, for your sake, you have to carry both. Even the one I'm helping you to carry. You must still are you following, Mazara? I don't know why we got there, but hey, it's fine. Maybe it was a new thing. So it's okay to say, the character of the Atanaman is not your Like, you know, people, certain people go, yes, sensitive, some people are oversensitive, some people. 
drink champagne with the band, like you're saying, mm -hmm. always feeling self-pity, but some people don't want to change. So where does the church draw the line where? I don't know. If they can't pick themselves up, if they can't, we're not going to The church should. In fact, we're talking about it to this chapel there. That you see, there are things that people expect us to do, right? They are not even the responsibility of the church. They are either your family responsibilities or Now, the church has certain responsibilities, but there are limits. Let's look at a few examples. Paul says, if there's someone who's sinful, right? We just read now, restore the, the one who has fallen into sin, how? Gently, right? But he says, well, if he doesn't repent, what must you do? Expel him. And then when we expel him, yeah, they judge me. Exactly. We expel you. Because the Bible says you are not repenting. In a similar manner, when you go through pain and you idolize the pain, we must put a... So other people have left the church. You go. We go. What does this person want? He wants to stay in the inner peace and answer him, he says, I'm all the time. Nemotusabad is not enough. You, every church has those people that they don't change. You know, drug addict. You know what parents, many parents have done? This rehab, that rehab, this rehab. Until the, the parent is sick. What the parent realize, does not realize us is that you are enabling your child. At one point, your child must just live with the consequences. Are you following? Does that mean you don't love them as a parent? Oh, yes, maybe you are, now you are Messiah. Let me give an example. <laughs> Jesus looked at a man. Remember the rich young man? The Bible says in the book of Mark, says he looked at him and he loved him. And he told him the answer. Go and sell everything you have and follow me. What did the guy do? He left. He, the Bible says his face fell. He was somber because he was very rich. Did Jesus go after him? No. But what does Jesus say in, in Luke 19? He has come to seek and save the, the lost. But yes, the guy who's lost. Jesus, are you not the Messiah? <laughs> Why are you not running after this guy? Jesus says, ah, man, these ones are the kind that it's very difficult for them to, a, a, a camel can go through. Why? He's saying, sometimes just be aware, you can't make a wolf or a goat a sheep. Sometimes you let go. And other people, because they don't even want to repent. When they go to the next church, the same thing happens. They just keep. When they come to your, to your church, they tell you, they speak bad about the church they come from in a sense that I was hurt, I was this. I was... No, now you are very nice. I like it here. Yeah. I give them three months. <laughs> After three months, they are God. When they get there again, I was at this church. Are you following? So as a leader, 
as a church, here's other things you must learn. You can't lead everyone, and not every local church is for everyone, and not every season is for everyone in that local church. When you can make peace with that, I've said it to you remember Kubel, Mrs. Kubel, I used to say that to the elders, you can't carry the guilt that is not our responsibility. Don't feel bad because other things people leave church. We have gone to check on them, we have done this, work, but then they still feel they want more. But if they want more, they are manipulating you. Cut it. That way you are free. Exactly. No, we've had that situation where someone said to me, I didn't come. And they left the church. And I went to apologize and release them. <laughs> but it's the dark night of the soul. If you don't know how to handle these things, you will ask for more than what is supposed to be given. But if you know what the word says, you will know that. For as long as you are alive, there is hope. I'm moving forward. Because I, I, I see... We'll get to the questions again. Ne? What was the other thing I wanted to talk about? The practice of the presence of God and simple prayer. I'm just going to put them together. The practice of the presence of God is that Okay, let, let, let's start in the book of Hebrews chapter... Uh, which chapter is it, Lord? Chapter 12. I don't have to separate them. Uh, we are in Hebrews. My mind says I'm like... Somebody read from verse twelve. Lift your your right hands, then and start on your trembling knees. Lift up what? And what? My version says, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weakness. Who is supposed to do the strengthening? You. Are you, are, are you hearing? So, when you think about knees and joints, I'm trying to find a transition point to the next topic. Knees and arms and it's the, the, the limbs that we use to do stuff, isn't it? So now when your joints are weak, you, you eventually become immobilized. There's a sickness called muscular dystrophy. I had a friend who probably remembers him at university. He suffered from that to the point that just before he died, when you have muscular dystrophy, your joints, your muscles in the joints are eaten by the disease. To the point that now 
you can't move yourself. During the night, if his hand went like this, I had to move it. If so, you can't. You still have the 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 joints, but they are so eating they are weak. They can't carry their bones. Can you imagine if you turn your head and you can't turn it back? He was my job. I had to take him to toilet, bath him, do stuff. At one point, I had my own room. I ended up staying in the same room with him because we see you. He has to tend. I have to tend. So the point is, when you don't strengthen those things, you become decapacitated, incapacitated. You can't move. You understand? So when we talk about that aspect of the dark night of the soul, it is your personal responsibility to strengthen the knees and feeble hands. You understand? So your your growth is your responsibility. So your growth must happen every day as your personal responsibility. So let's uh, tie that to chapter 13. Let's go to chapter 13, uh, verse 5. I'll, I'll read it in this version. I don't know what other version says. It's, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You see that part? Never leave you, no. So here's the thing. So if someone... Okay, let's go back to the... Firstly, to the... The foundational scripture of this. Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should... Lie. Neither is he a son of man that he should repent of what he said. So God comes and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? And then when you come, you say, God be with me. When you pray. I think some of you still. <laughs> You're not getting God says, I will never know why would God be with you when you say it? When he can't be with you when he said it? He says, I'll never leave. You understand? So now, but because we, something like the dark night of the soul creates this impression of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes you feel like God is not there. But it's God, God is there. Firstly, He's there providential. He's omnipresent. Even if he may not be for you, he's still there. But as a child of God, he's, he's, he's with you. He's in you. He's through you. He's upon you. But when you pray, and God is like, ah, am I not in you? Which be with me you want are you, are you following? But remember, when we, we say these things, we actually mean something else. We are actually trying to say, God, let me experience your presence. Let me experience something of your daily reality. You understand? Others, obviously, they are ignorant. They think they can invite God to be with them. God is already there. Be that as it may. 
The point of practicing the presence of God is to conscientize yourself that God is with you. To the extent that his presence permeates what you do. You are consciously engaged with him. God is with you, but you are not always present to God. So the practice of the presence of God is intended to ensure that the fact that God is with you also means you are with God. Does that make sense? So, my awareness of God, if it comes through prayer, then I end up needing a lot of quiet times. What, do we want, what are we looking for in quiet times? Quiet times, we should have them. Jesus had them. He used to go to solitary places and, and pray. But Jesus also practiced the presence of his Father. He says, I'm always with the Father. So here's the thing. You and I have lived with an understanding that God must come, God must do this, God invites God, and so on and so forth. But in the practice of the presence of God, the premise from which we move is to say, God is here. You understand? When I know that God is here, then the next part of the practice is to consistently engage him within and loud. Within and loud. Within and loud. How does that happen? It happens through what we call simple prayer. I'm just, these are two different concepts, but I'm combining. Simple prayer is the fact that, so I know God is here, right? And I want to practice his presence. I want to be conscious that God is always with me. Right? So now, I am eating this peanut, right? As I eat these peanuts, simple prayer is to say, Lord, as I eat these peanuts and they will nourish your body, my body, may you remind me to eat the weight to nourish my spirit. You turn everything into prayer. It's breath, they call breath prayers. When you're washing dishes, Lord, as I use this water to wash this dish, May your weight, which is water, wash my heart, my soul, wash me. Where everywhere you are going, you are not looking for a special time to, to pray. You can even, can I make it worse? You can even pray when you are in the loo. Because when you are loo, Lord, as I remove all these rejects out of my body, May all chaff be removed out of my life, out of my mind. So the point of this thing is that in humility, I intend to see God in everything. Because all things are created by him and all things owe their existence to him. But unless I see God in everything, despite its state, so for instance, a sinner may be indwelt by the devil, but he remains the property of God. You understand? He was created by God. Therefore, I will not have a compassion on a murderer until I see Jesus. 
So simple prayer allows me to say, Lord, look at what you have done. If I see someone beautiful, I don't just see their beauty. Their beauty reflects the work of God. And therefore, when I compliment them, I consciously compliment God. So I'm like, yo, hey, hey, uh, hey, 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 Mr. Demacia, you look handsome. Lord, you have done a good job. You see what I'm doing? Every time I interact with things, I see God in them. If I see an accident, I know that God is not necessarily in that accident, right? But I immediately, Father, look at your creation. The enemy has taken advantage. He has come to kill, steal, and destroy. As I see those people, Lord, I bring their family to you. Bring comfort their love. Do I know them? But I can pray. Do I have to know them to pray for them? But as I pray for them, do you understand what happens to me? I'm conscious of God. So I'm in consistent prayer. But I'm not shikataralabasaka. No. I'm not even baba exe. No. I am just... If I'm walking, I'm able to say, Lord, as I walk, would you in my spirit order my steps? <coughs> so everything, however simple, brings me to an awareness of who God is. So the practice of the presence of God is the ability to listen to God within whilst you are doing other things. So remember we spoke about listening, listening, listen to the spirit within. So when you say you are practicing the presence of God, we want you to listen to Christ within you. So you stop, you just listen. What is coming from within my spirit? So most of the time, you and I are too busy to listen. But what, if you were to listen, you would be shocked. Do you know many times you have heard, but you are not listening? You remember when you were told, don't go this way. Go that way. Don't end your life. And you went that way. And then we found you. Or whatever the case may be, you met the devil that side. And you say, you know something said, no, it was not something. Your spirit man said, but because you are not used to practicing the presence of God, you're not always listening to your spirit in man mood. And I'm very guilty of it. I'm like, I'm just talking on your behalf. When I'm saying I'm very guilty of it. Because I know every one of you who's born again, you do the same. You're like, you know. This time you knew. I didn't have peace about going or doing this or oh you don't know what the Bible says it says you shall be led forth with peace that's another way God speaks to us he speaks through the word he speaks through the conscience he speaks through the Holy Spirit he speaks through our peace sometimes you make a decision you have no peace okay 
at that point, that's when you are supposed to practice the presence of God. Listen to what is the voice of your spirit say. Why am I not having peace? If I don't have peace, what is the decision? Don't go with what does not give you peace. Ah, when are you like, ah, man. Like, sure, maybe get a doubt. And then you do it. You justify. After that, you come, you tell us, you give us a revelation. And you know I didn't have peace about it. So I didn't do it. Are, are you following? You did it because over time you have not learned to listen to the spirit man, to the Holy Spirit speaking. Do you know a lot of people who divorce or do other things? They knew before they got married that stuff like that may happen. They sit there, they say, I thought it would be different. I think it would, I thought it would, I thought I, it would change. Sometimes they honestly, ignorantly continued, but when they look, they say, in retrospect, the signs were, were there. I could see that. He's a bit controlling. I could see her. She talks too much. I could see, I could see, I could see, I could see. <laughs> but they did not listen to the spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the practice of the presence of God, pray for me, will help you not to make wrong decisions most of the time. Sometimes you won't even know why. Sometimes you'll be like, when you listen, Holy Spirit, show me. Holy Spirit, show me. Instead of him showing you something, he just takes away the peace about that decision. But you can't put your finger on what is actually What's wrong with this thing? What are you supposed to do? Wait. When you wait, you wait, you wait. And sometimes people that want you to make a decision will be pushing you. Maybe it's a business. Whether I'm at a wedding or I'm at a retreat or what, I just see papers. Sign here. The good thing is I always have peace. Well, there's that person. But. <laughs> so most of the time, the people will always be sign here. If we don't sign this, we're gonna lose the the deal. And that time, Holy Spirit is like, and you thinking, I don't know, man. I just don't have. Have you ever wanted to go home to travel somewhere? And you organize it, and suddenly you feel like at night is our feel out. Sometimes when you listen, you know, sometimes sometimes does the same thing. He will say to you, Don't go to church today. And then when I go, God, once you can tell it's the flesh, then you know it's not God. But yes, let me tell you a testimony. And then I'll stop here. One year we were going to KZN for a holiday. And when we were in the house, we had packed everything. And I was going to the car. And the Holy Spirit put this thing. Serious uneasiness. Don't go. Go into the house and pick something. I go to the house. I get into the house. I forget what I was going to pick. 
The kids and my wife come out. Now we are in the house. Everybody is now doing whatever they are doing. Hey, hey, hey. An hour later, I don't know what I was speaking, but we like, we have to go. We get in the car, we go. How get our feet out towards the glen? There's a long, long queue at the colony. Maponisa Arinta, or long at the Cleprefir Road. As we go up there, at the time we were supposed to pass there, there was, some of you may remember, there was an accident, yeah, truck. Oh, yes. You remember that? Cars about, yeah. I don't know, 16 or what cars piled up. So you must understand the accident didn't just happen with those who were there. It happened with, so it had a time span. Because if 16 cars, I think there were more, hit one another like this. Surely someone must have been a meter, 100 meters, and so on and so forth. And the, and the car, the, the, the truck just squashed them. And when we are thinking of my that's exactly about the time we were supposed to pass them. Whether we would have been in the accident is one thing. Maybe the Lord also did not want us delayed, yes. stuck in the traffic. I don't know what the Lord said. What I know is that when we came, we were one of the few who managed to, to take the offering because others are already all the way we managed to take. So what am I saying? I'm saying sometimes when you practice the presence of God by listening to the inner man, you can be saved from dangers. You can be saved from wrong decisions, wrong relationships, all kinds of things. So you understand, the practice of the presence is to listen to them. Simple prayer is making prayer out of everyday stuff. Uh, are you able to separate the two? We'll leave it there. Here's the thing. Yeah, he says he'll never leave you, no? Forsake you. Forsake you means he will let you be. So he won't let you be. The problem is when you don't listen, you develop deaf ears. You, that's why, uh, I don't remember who was I talking to, that when you are going to sin, you know. You know that? Uh, those of us who are very good at it, since some of you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when you are going to sin, you get the sense in advance. You have to yourself rationalize. The Bible says, today when you hear my voice, do not, you, you would be like, God will understand. God will, let me talk to young people. When I was younger, Okay, men of honor know the story. Some of you don't know. When we were young, because we grew up where there was sexual explicitness and what, what, and what, what. And so we would start watching TV. Yeah? Those days, 
Remember TV4? Remember TV4? Now, in this thing, the, 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 the movies then, because we didn't have a lot of content in South Africa, remember, TV would start at a certain time and then end at a certain time. At one point, it started at 4, ends at 9. Then they increased TV two, TV 1, 2, and 3. There, there was no SABC 1, there was TV. But in Maliavus, TV 2 and 3. So, so we would watch. Go Michael Knight again. So go Michael Knight, they don't sleep. They just kiss. Normally they kiss at the end of the... After the stirring has done his thing and then just kiss. And then at home they'll be like, close your eyes. And mind you, the environment is corrupt. The same people that say close your eyes. They are doing all these things in front of us. Are you there? So we'll be like... <laughs> when they are not there, because you have seen a lot of kissing, what is the law of sin saying? There's more. Then you go for more. And then you watch, they are in blankets. And you think, hey, this. You even go like this. You want... But you can't change what the cameraman has captured. You're like, what are you doing? You are feeding the flesh. But the Bible says the nature of sin is like the grave or fire. It never says enough. You understand? So now you watch, you watch. Cut the long story short, you get to a place now where you are. And then they came, they brought those Tabo Emmanuel. Remember the Emmanuel TV. ETV. I'm just talking to the young man, just so that you, you know, we you know. You will be like. So they switch off TV again. You all go to sleep, but it's going to start late when people are sleeping. They never caught me, Mina. Mina, they never caught me. Yeah. Yeah. You are seeing what the devil is doing. He's luring you to your own death. Because once you have killed the voice of the spirit. You're gone. So for you to watch, you are, you are supposed to be able to say certain things to your spirit man. First, you are supposed to say, I can't, I can't control it. Well, it depends where you put where I can't control it. But there's going to be, I want to see, is pleasurable. Didn't Eve say the same thing? It's pleasurable. The last of the flesh, the last of the eyes, and the, 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 the pride of life. And then you are in a position where you say, um, but God will understand. And then you watch. And then eventually you get to a place where you say, please, please, Lord. This is not for God. This is for me and mine. When you finish watching, guess what? The guilt Today, when you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. You've hardened your heart. Now you've entered condemnation. The devil is going to come. He's going to condemn you. 
it's very difficult to get out of. But as soon as you like, when the Holy Spirit says, don't change, you listen, you change. It will come to a point where you like, I don't watch those things anymore. I don't, I didn't get deliverance. I just listened to my, my spirit over time, over time. Yeah.